Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. It's very rare to hear the chief economist of the Bank of England being so frank about Brexit. I think that what's more problematic for policy in the UK is following these basics so that people make decisions on the basis of uh, the full picture. Stephen, I would like to have a small rant. Oh, just a small one. That's a relief. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We're all here today with more on that scoop we were talking about yesterday uh, from Bloomberg about Arm, the chip designing company moving there, or rather listing in the United States rather than in London. So a big story in the business world, but also a huge story uh, that's made political waves as well. Yeah, look, three successive prime ministers had lobbied Arm to list in London. So it is a blow to the government. Their response came out overnight uh, to this announcement. They're trying desperately to stay positive. They said... Uh, Of course, Arm has also said it's going to add a new site in the city of Bristol. That should help to add to headcount. Really trying to sound ambitious. But the fact is... The size of the UK stock stock market's been shrinking over the past 16 years, and this is not the first one to go. We also heard from CRH, the building materials giant, yesterday setting out its plans to move shares to the US. Yes, it's had a dual listing uh, in Dublin and London, but it's not the first one. Yeah, a massive Irish company which had chosen to list in London, which now says it's going across the pond. Lizzie, what's uh, what's Labour's been saying? What has Labour been saying about this? Well, Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, has said that it should be a huge cause of concern for the government, both in terms of the prestige of the UK economy, but also in terms of future tax revenues. I have to say, though, there's another way of looking at this. Um, you mentioned... Ewan, that CRH is Irish. It was founded in Ireland by merging two Irish companies. Other companies that have been moving their shares, like BHP to Sydney from Mm. London, it has no production assets in the UK anyway. So it kind of makes sense. And then you've got Ferguson um, and Flutter both increasingly getting more of their businesses business from the US. So as we heard from the London Stock Exchange boss David Schwimmer yesterday, maybe it's nothing to do with how attractive the London stock market is. It just makes sense for these companies. I'd like to point out I have paid neither Lizzie nor you and to keep insisting that CRH is an Irish company. <laughs> we did have a discussion about it earlier. Though. You we can do. pay me later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, well, look, let's, this is a story clearly that's that's causing interest in the political world as well. So we're joined now by Leila Moran, who's the Liberal Democrat spokesperson for Foreign Affairs and International Development. Leila, now you're an MP uh, for Oxford West and Abingdon, part of the Golden Triangle mm-hmm. with Cambridge and London. You know, I wonder how you feel about this news, given that you represent a constituency that's so closely linked to this idea of creating an innovation economy. Absolutely. I mean, it's a huge part of the Oxfordshire economy. We've got Harwell, we've got Cullum. At one point, Abingdon in my constituency had the highest number of PhDs per square kilometre in Europe. So we have a really proud history of science and innovation. And uh, yeah, this is a huge blow. But to be perfectly honest, not entirely unsurprising under this government. They talk the good talk when it comes to research and innovation. They've even got a whole new department 
Um, but that said, they, they've done actually very little to promote the technology and particularly the semiconductor industry ecosystem. We were uh, promised a proper strategy around this by DCMS, which is one of the uh, the digital culture, media and sport department, which has since been uh, sort of split in half. And some of that has become the research and innovation uh, department. Uh, we've seen nothing of that strategy. We've seen nothing of the government properly investing in this. And then if you look at the pipeline, because the pipeline issues are, are just as important, Horizon Europe was a key part of uh, uh, when we left the European Union, the government said they wanted to join it, the EU said they wanted us to join it, it then got wrapped up in the Northern Ireland Protocol negotiations. The EU was using it, it wrongly, in my view, as leverage. And it was interesting that in that press conference that von der Leyen and Sunak gave together, von der Leyen specifically said, well, now we will work at pace to get associate membership of Horizon Europe. Uh, just this morning, we heard in the Financial Times that apparently Sunak doesn't think it's value for money. I mean, come on. I'm hearing over and over again from researchers in my constituency that actually it's critical. And it's not just about money. It's about the ecosystem of having the best researchers wanting to come to the UK, wanting to their advance their careers and then moving into these kinds of industries. Mm. I think that the government has no strategy on this as a whole and it's beginning to show. And I'm not, to be honest, very surprised by this. So, Leila, which country companies in your constituency are you worried are going to be next? Um, I don't think I would look at it quite in those terms. I think the companies in my constituency, and many of them are actually startups. Um, so they spin off Oxford Innovation as an incredible uh, spin off machine. Um, the issue we have actually in Oxford and uh, Oxfordshire as a whole is space for that sort of medium level company. They're good at spinning off, but then actually keeping them here and building the lab space is, is the difficulty. But the other thing we are having is a workforce issue, and it doesn't just extend to research and innovation. It's also extending to health and social care. We've got incredibly low unemployment, and that is beginning to bite um, in companies when they're looking at, you know, where should we invest? Where should we go? They're looking at the instability in the UK, but they're also looking at what's the available workforce. We have an incredibly talented workforce, but it's fair to say that since Brexit, many of these people have decided, and many of them English too, decided that actually for their own careers, they'd be better off going elsewhere. And that's a real shame. I think that's something that the government didn't really foresee uh, when it signed its Brexit deal. And I sincerely hope that it's something that as part of this new department that they've created, they're going to look seriously at again. Leila, I want to ask you about the Brexit deal, which has just been signed, the Windsor framework. Hasn't Rishi Sunak played something of a blinder here? Uh, it looks like this deal is going to get uh, it's going to get across the line. The DEP is not going to block it, and the Northern Ireland situation looks like it is finally resolved. Well, hold on. You say play a blinder. I mean that's that's the same thing as saying like a kid messes up their bedroom, and now we're going to lavish praise on them because they decided to clean it up. This was entirely predictable as one of the things that was going to fall out from. The withdrawal agreement we all knew that it was always going to be a problem because if you remember the dup didn't vote for that deal on the basis that they didn't like this protocol it was pushed through parliament anyway um, and we knew that there was always going to come a time when it would need fixing um, and so they fixed it i'm pleased he has though and so to that i'm not going to take that away and did i think he would Probably not. Um, I think, you know, Sunak, especially after the disaster of Liz Truss and Boris Johnson, um, has shown that, you know, he is a bit more technocratic. He is a bit more in the detail. And he did come up with a quite interesting uh, solution to some of this stuff. 
I would say, um, in terms of getting it through, and is it going to solve the issue of power sharing in Northern Ireland? I mean, the jury on that is still out. The DUP are, you know, playing it a bit coy. Um, but there are also uh, concerns being raised by our sister party, the Alliance, around the so-called Stormont break. So this is the uh, mm. democratic deficit mechanism that they've come up with. It's based on a very quite contentious part of the Good Friday Agreement called the Petition of Concern. The idea being that you can block legislation if any one of the parties decides that it doesn't want it. And it's been used in the past to say block abortion rights and misused is the word that Alliance uh, uses. So to use that as a basis on which that they will engage with the European Union over issues around the single market, they have concerns about that being used for other political means in Northern Ireland and in fact lead to more instability in Northern Ireland. I mean, that we'll have to wait and see what happens and they're looking at the detail now. I think it's right that they, they have the time and space to do that and the Liberal Democrats will do what Alliance basically suggests that we do we think we don't we don't want to play party politics with northern ireland politics it's too difficult but there is really only one way out of this for good uh, and that is to look at more comprehensive agreements for example a uk-wide veterinary agreement an sps agreement which would help not just northern ireland but also help farmers and small businesses in the uk too with all the red tape that they have to go through Leila, I, I will I just say wanna, I, it's I, stuck in the throat when you had Sunak and Baker talking about how great it was that Northern Ireland was in the single market and in the UK economy, and many small businesses and businesses across the country were going, well, we used to have that. Why isn't it great for us too? Leila, I just want a brief thought from you on Lib Dems' European policy. The Tories are clearly being more conciliatory towards Europe now. Labour says they will go uh, further. What is the Lib Dem policy now? Are you much different to the other parties? Um, we are. We are. So first of all, we have a policy in the very longer term and we don't put any time frame on it because we recognise that it remains divisive and we have to take people with us. But we do want to be part of the European Union again, and that is stated party policy. But we recognise to get to that point, we are going to have to rebuild trust. And I do think that this was a good first start. I think rejoining Erasmus and Horizon Europe are the next lowest hanging fruit. I just mentioned a veterinary agreement, which I think is the next big thing that we should be going after. But unlike Labour, we think that the single market should remain on the table. All that red tape that businesses are dealing with, all the access to our biggest and closest trading partner shouldn't be left off the table. And we're looking at an economy that's having productivity issues, that you know is languishing to an extent compared to similar countries. There is one massive lever that we could be pulling, and it is working towards single market membership as a stepping stone to that longer term plan. So I would say we are always much more pro-European than the other parties. That We've never made any bones about that, and I suspect that your listeners will not be surprised by that. Um, I would say it's a real point of difference, actually, between us and Labour at the moment. We, we would go much further, faster, if we possibly could. Leila, how is uh, Ed Davies' leadership going? Obviously, you stood against him uh, f- for the leadership. The party's not making a lot of progress, is it? Um, I would challenge that. I would agree to an extent in the polls, but polls, you know, what are polls? And there were polls where we polled at 25% and then gained no more parliamentary seats. And there are other times when you poll not as well. But actually, if you look at how we're doing, particularly in that blue wall that we talk about in the UK, you know, those uh, South Central, South East England, Tory facing constituencies, we are 
doing incredibly well. We did the best uh, of all the parties at the last local elections. We're looking to do very well in this way, May's local elections. And we think that okay. uh, notwithstanding the fact that that's not countrywide, we actually think we're going to do very well at the next general election. We are targeting the Tories and we're very clear about that. Okay. Uh, they are scared of us uh, to the extent that they had an away day yesterday. And I understand they spent a whole session about how to win against the Lib Dems. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, Sue Gray has been appointed as Sir Keir Starmer's chief of staff, the senior civil servant, of course, most famous, in fact, almost entirely famous for producing a highly critical report into lockdown parties under Boris Johnson. And uh, Tory MPs are not happy about it at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the, the argument here, obviously, from Tory MPs is that, you know, it's it's inappropriate, given that she carried out that investigation, uh, that she should go on to work for the Labour Party. Um, there's, there's a bigger kind of picture conversation here as well about how the Conservative Party and I suppose government parties in general talk about the civil service and, and the criticism that we feels like has been more prominent in recent years. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that. Yeah, I think... There certainly has been a lot of criticism, hasn't there, of the civil service, uh, you know, particularly uh, over the acting blob. slowly, over, Liz, over Liz COVID, Truss the blob. Was, was that yeah. Liz Truss or was, was it Gove Truss, or possibly yeah. both of them? Uh, yeah, certainly Liz Truss's uh, short-lived administration w- w- wanted to go ahead with a lot of radical things without civil service approval. But I feel like it, it was always a little bit like this, wasn't it? I mean, if you think back to, you know, Yes Minister, the, the, the documentary, as Margaret, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher called it. Important source material for this, well, yeah. Well, yes, you know, it is, it is indeed. Uh, you know, civil servants have always wanted to slow down ministers with their wacky ideas or their radical ideas. And, you know, minister, this is not going to work. Let's just do it like we've always done it. So I do think that this has kind of always gone on, but perhaps possibly it has uh, got, got a bit more recently. Lizzie... Talk to us about, about Labour. What, you know, how does Labour fit into well, this? Well, clearly Keir Starmer is trying to show that he's very pure by appointing the grey lady uh, into this position. <laughs> um, and so you would want to when... Uh, part of the reason that the Tories are struggling so much is because of the successive uh, scandals that have... Uh, dogged all the different prime ministers that we've had. But I have to wonder whether the fact that people are saying that Sue Gray is showing her political colours now, does that undermine the validity of the Partygate investigation? 
Mm. I mean, look, th- this isn't the first time that we've had senior civil servants leave and, and go to work in, in political roles. Civil service rules say that it's for the Prime Minister to take the final decision on jobs for departing officials. The Cabinet Office says it's reviewing the circumstances under which uh, Sue Gray resigned. Um, let's speak now, though, to Mercedes Villalba, who's a Labour member of the Scottish Parliament for North East Scotland. Um, Mercedes, great to have you with us. I'm wondering what what your thought is on this. Does this, you know, is is it right that someone like Sue Gray goes to work for Keir Starmer? Good morning. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, well, ultimately, it's it's for Sue Gray um, to decide um, any roles that she applies for and goes on to take. But you know, as has already been said, um, there is then that risk um, that when a civil servant um, goes on to work for a political party, that it could have the wider um, unintended effect of undermining the, the professed impartiality of the civil service, which which is very important. Let's just talk about Keir Starmer's uh, five missions for government. Do you think that the Labour leader is being ambitious enough? There is not much, not much meat on these bones, is there? My understanding is that they have been announced as missions, so kind of um, reasserting the party's underlying values and priorities in areas like health, um, uh, education, justice, um, energy, um, and that they're a kind of um, a a guiding light and a a statement of purpose um, for what we will go on to do um, and the detail comes out in in manifestos and then of course the public then get a chance to vote on those policies whether they want to see them implemented in government. Do you see these missions as being equally relevant to the whole of the UK? Well I I think they're they're fundamental issues that affect everyone not just in the UK but the whole world over right issues of energy access you know these are intrinsic public services that none of us can can live and thrive without so you know I think they're, they're of course relevant to the whole UK. And we've just had the data, the numbers on how many donations have been made to Labour, far exceeding the Tories' donations. I wonder how that money should be spent, in your view. Should it be spent, more of it, on turning Scotland red? Yeah, well, we, we need to make sure that um, you know party funds are spent um, fairly and equitably um, to, to advance the party across the whole country, of course. You know, that, that starts, I think, uh, by having a, a very strong organising unit within the party that can um, be, you know, facilitating us all getting out on the on the doors, speaking to people, speaking to the public, um, making sure that we're in, in tune with them. Mercedes, since we last spoke to you, Nicola Sturgeon has announced her resignation as uh, Scotland's first minister. Whatever your differences with her about the independence question, there's no doubt that Nicola Sturgeon is or was one of the most impressive politicians in the United Kingdom. Perhaps impressive in her communication, communicative style and ability. I mean, there's no questioning um, that. But when you look at the detail of what she has uh, achieved or what the, her party has achieved in their long um, reign in government for the country, I think people are struggling to, to actually identify anything. And many of their, the, 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 the significant changes that we have seen have actually come from the campaigning work of Labour MSPs and of, um, you know, uh, civil society. Um, so if you look at Monica Lennon's um, period uh, provision bill, um, which the SNP took on, if you look at Alec Rowley's 
passive homes bill, which the government has now decided to take on. I campaign for the rent freeze. I continue to campaign for rent controls. Um, just this week, the Scottish government has announced that it's taking the Caledonian sleeper into public ownership. Um, it's actually Richard Leonard, a Labour MSP, who has championed that campaign in Parliament relentlessly on behalf of the rail unions and rail workers and, and the travelling public. Mercedes Villalba, Labour MSP for North East Scotland. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Now, as we count down to the budget on March the 15th, we've learned today that the Chancellor is poised to extend the government's energy price guarantee for another three months. Now, the measure will keep the average household energy bill at £2,500 a year. Well, Bloomberg's Rachel Morrison leads our team of energy reporters in London, joins us with the details. Uh, Rachel, just talk us through what we know um, about this announcement. Yes, so... This has been going on for a while. The pressure has been building on the government to do something to help people with energy bills in April. So the energy price guarantee, which is the sort of government subsidy that helps people with bills, was going to be withdrawn and starting in April. And it looks like the government are not going to do that now. They're going to keep that support level stable at £2,500. So that's good because it means that that kind of bill rise Households aren't going to see that. And we know that a lot of charities and um, consumer campaigners like Martin Lewis had been really raising the point that this was going to be a very difficult time for the government to start doing this. And the reason they're doing it is that wholesale energy prices are falling. And it takes a while for that to catch up with the price cap, which is the other um, instrument that is in place in the UK. It's it is quite complicated at this point. Um, and until those cap, the prices catch up with the price cap, households still need this government level to help with bills, which are really still very high. OK, so how much more it will this cost the government to keep this in place, Rachel? It's not clear yet. There's quite a lot of things going on because we do have that drop in wholesale prices, which helps things. We also have the extra headroom created by the windfall tax, which there's been some debate over how much the government has got extra from that, um, from that getting that money back from energy companies. They're not necessarily the same energy companies, the suppliers as the ones who are being windfall taxed, but there seems to be more money, particularly from energy um, around than the government thought, which is where this pressure has come from to give that back to people and make sure that they're not sort of putting extra pressure on households at a time when other things are happening and the cost of living crisis is still very real. So it would have looked bad if they hadn't done this. And a lot of commentators have been saying that this is really quite an easy win for the government because it's kind of using money that they didn't expect to have. And Rachel, we've been told to get our jackets and jumpers out because there's a cold snap coming next week. Should we be worried from an energy perspective? I think it's it's interesting because we sort of feel like it should be starting to be spring-like, but really there's some snow coming next week and people are talking about the same weather phenomenon that caused the beast from the east a few years ago which means that we've got this first cold blast and we don't know how long it will last for. And Europe and um, indeed the UK have been doing very well with gas consumption and with how much gas there is left in storage in Europe at the end of this winter. And a cold snap could really deplete those levels, meaning the task of refilling in summer is bigger. 
Great stuff. Uh, so Rachel Morrison leads our uh, team of energy reporters in London. Thanks for bringing the details of that uh, energy uh, household energy bill price cap, £2,500 uh, uh, from... April. Complicated story. Thanks for bringing us the details. Now, sticking with the theme of inflation, on yesterday's podcast, we spoke to the ex-Bank of England rate setter Michael Saunders about childcare and how investment in that could boost UK growth. But of course, we had to take the opportunity to ask him about the Bank of England's next meeting on March the 23rd and how he'd vote. And it was a surprise because... When he was on the committee, he was the biggest hawk, especially at the end. But he told us he'd be voting for a smaller 25 basis point hike. Take a listen. The MPC has done a big tightening cycle. A tightening cycle is probably near the end. And so it's right to step down the scale of tightening. Interesting to hear him say that the big hikes the bank's already done are taking effect, especially on the housing market, a debate that I'm sure we'll be hearing much more of in the run-up to the next decision. I'm sure we will. Well, that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe, give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and uh, ably edited by Marufal Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more on Monday. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.